0: The National Broadcasting Company presents The Adventures of Sam Spade, Detective. Sam Spade Detective Agency.
1: Me, sweetheart.
2: Was it awful,
1: Sam? Excruciating, if I suffered, girl, how I suffered. But
3: there's no other way, Sam. Hmm? When fate turns against a man. True,
1: dear one, true. But from somewhere I must find strength. You must. You must. To pick up the shattered fragments of my life, to raise my eyes once again to the horizon and piece by piece put them together again. Oh, Sam. And the two of us, dear one, hand in hand, shall go marching down the years together. Oh, yes. Brace oh. yourself, sweetheart.
2: I'll try, Sam. Gather
1: together the homely, humble tools of your trade, find six dry handkerchiefs, and prepare to greet me with a smile behind the tears. Yes. I'll be down before you can change stations with a report entitled The Soap
0: Opera Caper. <gasps> For NBC, William Spear, radio's outstanding producer-director of mystery and crime drama, brings you the greatest private detective of them all in The Adventures of Sam Spade. Sam? Sam? Who calls, young widder Perrine? Lane
2: F.
4: Is it all over, Sam?
1: Uh, is a soap opera ever over, dear one?
4: Oh, but it's out on the
1: phone like you... Been... I know, I know, but it's not the end. It's never the end. Pull up a chair now. Take a firm grip on pad, pencil, and your emotions. Got them?
3: I'm at the ready,
2: Sam.
1: Good show. <laughs> to Agatha Pilbeam from Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject, the soap opera caper. How was I to know what was on her mind? This strange woman, this mysterious Agatha Pilbeam, this voice on the telephone, directing me to the big, sprawling house in Hillsborough.
5: Is that clear, Mr. Spade? How
1: urgent is it, Miss Pilbeam?
5: Very, very urgent, Mr. Spade. I I don't know which way to turn.
1: So I went to the big, sprawling house in Hillsborough, pulled up behind an ancient Model A parked at the curb and was walking past it toward the gate when... Spade! Huh? Oh, oh, Croc Morton, isn't it?
6: <laughs> good old Sammy, you remember. Yeah, yeah, when'd you get out? Uh-oh, last month, but mm-hmm. I'm a good boy now. Here, take one of my cards. That's yeah, dirty. if you know anyone who needs a first-class private eye, Croc's available. Uh, what are you doing here, Sam? A lady wants to see me. The soap opera queen? Is that what she is? Oh, six or eight of them, she writes. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, behind the clouds, mm-hmm. the heart of Julia Jukes. That must be Life, uh... Oh, I forget the rest. You know. Beats, gumshoeing, Sammy. Yeah, well, right if you get work, Croc. Yeah, i want a job right now. You mean you got your license already? Oh, me? Well, I... Well, you can always run off a photo of someone else's. Pol- oh, Sam, that's mean.
1: Crock was a crook, but a nice crook. He never killed anybody, he was just an uncurable camera fiend, specializing in taking pictures of people doing what they hadn't ought to be doing, you know, stuff like that. Or if you wanted a photostat of somebody else's document, Crock was your man. Well, I walked up the drive to the door, threw it past a white shirt front that turned out to have a butler in it, and toward what seemed to be your study. But it wasn't. It was your bedroom, and you were reclining on six pillows with a cigarette in a long holder in one hand and the mouthpiece of a dictating machine in the other.
5: But, John, hush, Melinda, there is no way to go now but ahead. John, you're so strong. I need you. I need your courage. We must face this thing together, Melinda. The
1: organ what was Veronica a phonograph playing in her if ear. There is
5: indeed I waited for an opening, but blood. there
1: just wasn't any, don't so I had face, to interrupt.
5: John, don't even...
1: Uh, Miss uh, don't Pilbeam... Don't you see, Melinda, we if, can't run if, away
5: from life. Uh, Miss, we must approach this... Miss Pilbeam? Calmly, uh, Melinda. Don't... I uh, beg uh, pardon. Oh, uh, just a minute, uh, My mood music.
1: I see. Uh, I'm Sam Spade, Miss Pilbeam.
5: Come. Come uh-huh. sit beside me, Mr. Spade. Well... It's time we talked things over.
1: Well, well, thanks. Oh, Maybe you'd better start at the... When ba- a woman
5: yeah. reaches 40, Mr. Spade, she comes to lean upon her man. Oh? To look upon him not just as someone to cherish but as a source, a spring, a fountain of strength. hmm Are you still dictating? I'm talking about me, Mr. Spade. Oh. Whom oh. can I turn to? Whom? I grope, I flounder in the darkness, I cry out, I listen in vain for an answer. But there is none.
1: Well, you always have a better chance of getting an answer when you ask a question. What do you mean? What are we talking about? What Indeed. Well, I haven't caught the show lately. You'll uh, have to bring me up to date. Why don't you run through the announcer's part, will you? You know, right after the organ when he says, uh, when we left Julia Jukes yesterday... I'm
5: sorry, I thought I told you on the telephone. No. For many days now, I've seen somewhat of a strange new look on my husband's face. Husband? Dr. Martin Hawkes.
1: Oh, you're married. I thought it was Miss Agatha Pilbean.
5: Oh, two years ago today, I met young Dr. Hawkes and married him. Life became beautiful, a gay, laughing thing, a road to happiness. And then... Then? A cloud passed over the sun. Martin became moody, silent. I tried to penetrate the shell, but he only drew farther into it. A strange, terrifying crevasse seemed to have opened up between us. Well... What is it, Martin? I asked him repeatedly. But he'd only stare silently out the window and finally walked silently from the room.
1: Well, uh, how long did this go on? How, how long a series did you get out of it?
5: For weeks until a few days ago when the final blow fell. Mm. It was evening, and Agatha and Martin were at dinner. Let's look in on them as... Oh, sorry. <sighs> uh, we were at dinner when the doorbell rang, and I answered it. It was a telegram for mm. Martin from Mexico. I gave it to him and watched the blood drain from his handsome features as he read it. His hand trembled, his jaw clenched.
1: But you forced yourself to speak.
5: Yes. Mm. What is it, Martin, I asked? Tell me, please, for the sake of our love. And he... Looked down at me as if I were a stranger. Then he crumpled the telegram, threw it savagely into the fireplace, and strode silently from the room. Here. Here, I rescued it from the flames. Read it.
1: Thank you. Uh, Regret must confirm your worst fears, Cardoza.
5: What? Is the terrible secret of Martin Hawkes? Why did he act so strangely when the mysterious telegram arrived from Mexico? And above all, where is he?
1: You mean he didn't come back?
5: He's been gone for four days, Mr. Spade. I must find him. Now of all times I need his love. When a woman reaches forty. I know,
1: I know. What do you mean now of all times?
5: It's been just a week now the report came back from the laboratory after my physical examination. Oh. The doctor from Vienna. Mm-hmm. You see, Mr. Spade, I, too, have a terrible secret.
1: Well, uh, don't you want to tell me about it?
5: Yes. Oh. I have a very rare, incurable disease. There are only, only six short weeks to live.
1: than an hour after his distressing interview with Agatha, our boy Sammy walked into the beautifully appointed office of young Dr. Hawks at 450 Sutter to find his nurse, pretty young Nora Sheldrake, a new character working at her desk in the reception room. In response to a question from Sammy, we hear Nora saying,
3: I have no idea where Martin has gone, Mr. Spade, but I can tell you why. Tell
1: me, Nora, please feel free to tell me everything.
3: It's... It's that... That woman, Mr. Spade. Agatha? Yes. Yes, Agatha. Mm -hmm. She never understood Martin. She doesn't understand Martin. She never has tried to understand Martin. Do you You, hear me? She never has tried.
1: I, I take it you don't care for Agatha Pilby. I hate her. Nora.
3: I do. I hate her. She thinks her money can buy everything. Even Martin. Well, it won't. She knows that now.
1: Well, calm yourself, Nora. Try and think back now to the last time you saw Martin Hawks.
3: It was Monday.
1: Four days ago?
3: Yes. The call came from some legal firm named Bennett & Hatch.
1: let me write that down.
3: I switched the call into Martin. I was worried for him. I was concerned. I have to admit now I did a terrible thing. Ah, you listened in. I did. They told him his sister was in town, that she was working at some... at some nightclub. And wanted to see him.
1: Uh, what nightclub was this?
3: Let me see. It was the... the Tortuga.
1: Mm-hmm. What else?
3: Well, that's all. They hung up then, and Martin came out. I watched the blood drain from his handsome features.
1: His hand trembled, his jaw clenched.
3: Yes. I'm going out, Nora, he said. If I'm not back, don't worry. That's all. It was so like Martin.
1: The Tortuga was only a few blocks away on Post Street, so I walked there. We were just tooling up for the dinner trade when I arrived, I sailed around backstage like Billy Rose on an inspection tour, found the doorman, and showed him the snapshot you'd given me of young Dr. Hawks. Or. Tried oh, Look, young fellow, I told you we don't have no dancer here named Hawks. I ain't got look, time Dorman, to... Dorman, Dorman, please, oh, uh, take a look at the picture. No, you?
3: no I ain't got... Your... Picture?
1: Well, yeah. Yeah. Was... Yeah. Hmm? That fellow was here at that. Tuesday, uh, the, uh, Monday night it was. Well, who'd he come to see? Well, wasn't nobody named Hawks, mister. It was Beth Jardine. Well, bless you, Dorman, bless you. Uh, bless you, too. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Beth Beth Jardine. Come in. I, uh... Close the door, will you? Yeah. Drafty. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything I can... There
5: sure is. Zip me up, Jack.
1: I'm Sam. I
5: don't care if you're Boris Karloff. You got hands, haven't
2: you? Zip me up.
1: Okay. You say when. When? Can you breathe?
2: Oh, no. You
5: can't have everything. On your mind, Jack? Uh,
1: Martin Hawks.
5: Sorry, never heard of him.
1: Look, we're getting along beautifully up to now, honey. Let's not spoil it. You not only know Martin Hawks, you're his sister.
4: What makes you think What's I that know? card
1: stuck over there in the mirror? Bennett and Hatch, attorneys at law. Aha! The same Bennett and or Hatch who called Martin Monday afternoon and told him his sister wanted to see him here. Now, what's this all about? Uh, I can't tell you. He got a telegram from Mexico. Mexico? Yeah. It upset him something awful. What'd it say? Regret must confirm your worst fears.
5: You're dead, huh?
1: Yeah.
5: <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> great. <laughs> Pretty
1: hilarious, huh?
5: Jack, you just ain't got no idea. I got a piece of advice for you, Jack. Oh? Forget about Marty Hawks and live a long and useful life.
1: Mm-hmm. I got a tip for you, too. You're in a tight spot. Watch that zipper, Jack. <laughs> One of the heavier soap opera types, Beth was, with a throaty voice and the talent for besmirching reputations. What was the mysterious influence she wielded over young Dr. Hawks? How much did she know about his strange disappearance? What about the cryptic telegram from Mexico City? And what about dinner? The last question I could answer. I stopped at Schroeder's for sourbrot and potato pancakes, ran into Larry Mahoney of Homicide, who was off-duty, and we stopped in at a handy alley and bowled until 11. I was walking back down Market Street when I passed the flood building, which reminded me of the firm of Bennett and Hatch, who resided there. As a matter of fact, it looked like they were there right now, since the light was on behind the second floor window with their name on it. Now, the sensible thing would have been to call around nine in the morning, but as I seldom do sensible things, I hustled up the stairs and down the corridor to their office. Someone other than Bennett or Hatch had put in some time, obviously. Obviously. The drawers of a dozen or more file cases have been pulled out and dumped on the floor. The desk drawers, likewise. And to mark it clearly as the work of a thoroughgoing professional, the safe door was off its hinges. All this took me back to the Model A parked in front of your house this afternoon, Agatha, and I was contemplating same when... Oh. Hello? Bennett. Yeah? Good, Christopher,
5: I was scared you wouldn't be there.
3: Tried to get you at home. Do it, baby, do it. Pull the string. We'll never make it with this guy.
1: We're through. Pull the string here. Do it, baby. Do it. Make it.
2: Hello?
1: Operator! 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 I finally got someone at the Tortuga Club who knew where Beth Jardine lived an apartment on Russian Hill. I didn't stop to ask which apartment, and when I got there, I found I didn't have to.
4: All right, stand back, everybody! Stand back! Dugan! Oh, hello,
1: Sam. What happened? Jane just knocked herself off. Jumped from a room on the eighth floor.
4: Stand back, you yowl!
1: There was no need to, to, but I looked at her anyway just to make sure. It was Beth, all right. When she said she was through, she meant it. I was just turning to go, and something big in a tan camel's hair brushed past me and bent over the body. Where is she? Where? Beth! Sister! Beth! Beth! I recognized him from the snapshot. Wild haired with a four days growth of beard on his lean, handsome face. It was Martin Hawkes on the verge of collapse. Officer Dugan and I helped him through the crowd toward the ambulance that had just rolled up, sat him on the running board and began to question him. Uh,
4: what what was that again? Your name, your name, what your name? Well, my name. Of course I I My name, I I, I don't know. I don't know my name.
1: It happens to everyone in soap operas, sooner or later. When he filled out the forms on poor Beth Jardine, old Doc Peterson gave Martin a double O, blew his nose,
4: and announced with a twinkle in his eye, Pears to me like young Dr. Hawkes has got himself a case of amnesia. Will the
1: mind of young Dr. Hawks come out of the fog? What does he know about the death of Beth? Was it murder? Or suicide? Or both? And what of the mysterious telegram from Mexico City? Will Agatha ever discover the terrible secret of young Dr. Hawks? And will stupid Sam ever discover anything? Before we continue, a word from our announcer. <laughs>
0: Listening to the weekly adventure of radio's most famous detective, Sam Spade. Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Saturday night is date night, but tomorrow poor Dennis Day has trouble with his girlfriend Gloria... However, Dennis manages to sing his way out of trouble in his charming, boyish fashion. And say, why not let Dennis help your Saturday evening along, too? And for more music and fun tomorrow, there's the Judy Canova Show, starring Judy in a melodic and carefree half-hour of laughs. And Grand Ole Opry with singing MC Red Foley and his special guest, cowboy troubadour Ernie Tubb. Now back to the soap opera caper, tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. It's a half hour later now,
1: in the sterile whiteness of a hospital room, that the three of us, you, Agatha, I, and old Doc Peterson, gather around the pale, quiet form of young Dr. Hawks.
5: Martin. Martin, speak to me. I... I... Martin, uh, darling...
0: Uh, who who are
4: you?
5: Agatha, dear. Your own Agatha. Uh, I, I,
4: I, I... Come, Agatha. Better leave him be for now.
2: Oh, Doc, I, I can't go on. When a woman reaches... I
4: know, I know. You've got to be strong, Agatha. Sam, hmm? we better leave him be for now. Well, you're the doctor.
5: Oh, what could have done this to Martin?
4: Oh, shock sometimes.
5: You don't mean...
4: Yes, I'm afraid I do. Seeing his sister, then. Could be. Or sometimes it's just a matter of a body getting into such a fix, his mind backs off and refuses to have any part of it.
5: The wire from Mexico City.
4: Huh?
5: His terrible secret. The strange threat hanging over him and his sister. Driving one to Suicide. And the other, the other, to do this. Well... No wonder poor Martin gave away before this.
1: Sure, sure, and there's still another explanation. How's that, Sam? That he figured amnesia was a nice, easy way not to have to account for what he's been up to for the last four days. Or where he was when the dame took off from the eighth story.
5: Mr. Spade, you're not accusing Martin There's
1: something buzzing around in his little mind. The nurse tells me she got him into a pair of pajamas and tucked him in nice and cozy before we got here. Well? Yes, well... You may not have noticed, Agatha, because he'd pulled the covers up around his neck, but our boy had his clothes back on just
4: now. What? Martin! Hey! He's gone! (laughs)
1: Indeed, he was was Martin, as we could plainly deduce from the open window and the curtains blowing gently out over the fire escape. Young Doctor Hawks indeed had packed up his amnesia, his terrible secret, and his toothbrush, and taken off into the night. So I left you sobbing gently on Old Doc's shoulder and found me a phone in a drugstore a safe distance away on the forty-eighth ring. Bennett of Bennett and Hatch attorneys answered. He was sleepy. I used all my soft answers, and he used all his hard ones, and finally we got to the point.
4: All right, Spade, all right. The Jardine dame left a sealed envelope with us. What was in it? How do I know? It was sealed, marked personal and confidential to be delivered to the city attorney in the event of my death. Signed, Beth Jardine Hawks. Signed how? Beth Jardine Hawks.
1: Not Beth Hawks Jardine.
4: No. Is it important?
1: Just a tiresome detail, Bennett. So she brought you the envelope, paid a fee, and you stuck it in the vault for her. Then what?
4: Well, she had us call her brother and tell him to meet her at the Tortuga. Period. That ended our part of it. We didn't even get our feet wet.
1: On the contrary, Bennett, you're up to your ears. In what? Blackmail. Bye. Which explained many things to wit, A, the lawyer from Mexico City from the lawyer named Cardoza, B, the murder of Beth Jardine, and C... The reason for young Dr. Hawke's mysterious flight from the hospital, his mind still fogged with amnesia. It did not, however, explain why stupid Sam had kept Crock Morton's business card in his vest pocket for 21 pages without doing something about it. The address was near 3rd and Howard, not one of the better business sections, even for a private detective. I walked down 3rd Street, past the Sherry and Muscatel joints looking at numbers, and then discovered it wasn't necessary. The old Model A was pulled up in front of white, what might have been a respectable office building before the earthquake, but now couldn't decide whether to be a warehouse or a tenement. Thus far, a harmonious picture. But behind the Model A was something twice as long and three times as shiny with a motor running, out of place by about $4,000. Out kind of late, aren't you, Nora? (gasps) Sam! Nora. Nora. Sam! Nora. Uh, 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 uh. Don't reach for the horn.
3: But he told me... Sure,
1: and you believed it, like everything else he told you. Come on, get out.
3: I will not get out. Oh,
1: but you will, or I'll pull you out by your pretty blonde hair. Now, come on.
3: You... you... Oh. Ah, there,
1: that's it.
3: You can't do this to me, Mr. Spade. Nothing can stop Martin and me. We have our right to happiness.
1: Uh-huh. Just the two of you, chins up, eyes on the horizon. Let the dead past bury its dead.
3: How can you joke
1: It's about... no joke, believe me. You got taxi fare?
2: Why?
3: Because
1: you're gonna get in my cab, go home, put your hair up in curlers, and go to bed after saying to yourself 1,000 times what a lucky little girl you are that Martin Hawks didn't shove you out a window, too. Now, scoot. Scoot! It was the kind of a dark stairway that made me yearn for the comfortable feel of a shoulder holster under my left arm. At the top was a three and a half watt bulb, and at the other end of the hallway a crack of light under Croc's office door. Between the two was a cat, more's the pity. So abandoning my stealthy approach, I walked up to the door, turned the knob, stuck my hand in my side coat pocket like Edward G. Robinson, and kicked the door open. Crock was sitting at his desk behind a stack of bills. The closet door was just closing softly. Who was in the closet? And did he still have his toothbrush, his terrible secret, and his amnesia with him?
6: Well, <laughs> Sammy. Yeah. You, uh, you took me up on it right quick, huh? Uh-huh. Uh, have a chair.
1: I sat on a chair in the corner out of line of the closet door behind the desk.
6: <laughs> oh, old Sammy. You got a job for me, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you don't look like you need a job, Croc. Eh?
6: Huh? Oh, this? Yeah. Oh, this is nothing. Good day at the track, that's all. What's on your mind?
1: Remember the Blennerhasset John? Huh? The one with the letters before you went up?
6: What are you talking about, sir? The
1: shakedown Croc. the dame who wanted you to get the letters back, remember? You know, so you got them for it, delivered and collected after you had the photostats made. Sam,
6: you're, you're crazy. Oh, I never done no yeah. such thing. You can
1: level with me, Croc. You collected on the photostats for eight years. Oh, wait, Sam. Well, what? forget it. Anyway, I got another one. Dr. Martin Hawks, married to the soap opera queen, you know.
6: What about it, Sam?
1: She's worth a couple of million bucks and has six weeks to live. As her husband, he's her only heir. Nice spot to be in. Yeah. Only he isn't her husband. Huh? Because the Mexican divorce from his first wife, the late Beth Jardine Hawks, wasn't legal, you know. What? She blew in a month ago and began shaking him down after leaving the marriage certificate and a batch of other papers with some lawyers for life insurance.
6: Sam, I, I just ain't interested when in... You when you hear I'm... the
1: payoff, Crock. it's just like the dame with letters. Oh, what do you mean? Hawks hired someone to crack the lawyer's office and get the papers out of the safe. Some smart guy, yeah... An unfrocked private eye who doesn't have a license. Uh, I found out where he had the photostats made, though. I can get copies.
6: Hey, for crying out loud. Shut up.
1: The closet doorknob was turning slowly. I waved him out of the way and picked up the chair. It was all over two seconds after it started. A door flew open. He came out with his terrible secret, which turned out to be a gun. And I wrapped the chair right around his head. So I picked up the gun and Crock and young Dr. Hawks, and we all picked up a ride to headquarters. Only one scene remained to be played in today's exciting episode. I,
5: I should try to be brave, Mr. Spade. <laughs> Sounds like such a cliche now. Uh,
1: good show, Agatha. Good show. Good
5: show. Life must go on, you know. Even when
1: a woman. You reached... were born in 1911, I believe.
5: Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, as I say, life must go on, even when a woman reaches...
1: Indeed, it must. Indeed, it must. We have our happy moments and our sad ones, our pleasures, our trials, our joys, and our heartbreaks.
5: And sometimes, Mr. Spade... Yes? Sometimes at the bottom of our cup of bitterness, we find a pearl. We do? The laboratory, tests.
1: A mistake, definitely. They got yours mixed up with someone else's, and you have no incurable disease and many years of happiness ahead of
5: you. Yes, Mr. Spade... But happiness? I wonder. Can a woman past 40 whose husband is a convicted murderer find happiness
0: alone? Uh, well, uh, good
1: show. Period. End of opera.
3: for tomorrow's
5: episode i'll be
1: sure to tune in at this very same time Churub. and meanwhile answer me this
5: What, Sam? how
1: long will it take a woman past 20 to turn out a 25 page report <laughs> yes sir
5: i'll have the answer after a brief word
2: from our announcer
0: three chimes mean good times on nbc tomorrow arturo toscanini will conduct the renowned nbc symphony in the fourth of a saturday concert series For tomorrow's one-hour performance, celebrated Maestro Toscanini has chosen works by Debussy, Respighi, and Edward Elgar. You're invited tomorrow to the NBC Symphony and Toscanini.
5: Hmm. Oh,
1: dear. Oh, there, there, little girl. No tears now, no tears.
5: They're tears of gratitude, Sam. Mm. When I read all this about other people's troubles, I'm... I'm so grateful to you for the smooth life we have together.
1: Effie. Sam. Effie. Sam. Effie. Sam. That takes about ten seconds. Go ahead.
5: I'm only merely
3: a secretary, but... Shh!
1: It's over now. Matter of fact, we're ten seconds over.
3: Oh, well, Sam, I... I haven't even your wife to be versus...
1: Nothing but peace and quiet.
3: And fairly regular paycheck.
1: With only a corpse now and then to produce a ripple on the mirror smoothness of our bliss.
3: Oh, that's beautiful, Sam. I thought so. You don't have a, a single terrible secret, either.
1: No, but just to keep you interested, dear one, from time to time I shall pick up a piece of paper, read it, let the blood drain slowly from my face, then clasp you to me thusly. Sam. Holding you close and just before striding silently from the room, mutter... In your shell pink ear. I know.
3: Good night, Sam.
1: Good night, sweetheart.
0: The adventures of Sam Spade are produced, edited, and directed by William Spears. Sam Spade was played by Stephen Dunn. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Script for tonight's adventure by Harold Swanton. Musical scoring by Lud Gluskin conducted by Robert Armbrewster. Join us again next week, same time, for another adventure with Sam Spade. Join the magnificent Montague and have fun at Duffy's Tavern on NBC.